Why don't you get your Bibles out, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. You can find that on page 1069 in that pew Bible there in front of you. So if you don't have a Bible, why don't you grab that Bible there in front of you and you can take that home with you. Keep it. If you know somebody that doesn't have a Bible and needs a Bible, well, take that as our gift to you. We want to try to we don't want anybody to be without God's word. So this is our 19th week studying 2 Corinthians. Last week was a wonderful time together uh, celebrating God's word around the Lord's table. I'm just grateful for that special time we had together as a family. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go back and we're going to revisit the text that launched us last week into that conversation. Then we're going to dive in a little bit deeper and have a more practical conversation today since the Lord has given us opportunity to do so. I feel like God's got some important things to say to us this morning, and I pray that your heart will be open to everything that he has to say. We might receive it with joy and gladness, even if it's not necessarily what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. Amen. So let's pray and ask God to help us as we study. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the testimony of your faithfulness and the power of family and faith. And when those two things come together, Lord, anything is is possible. We see so many evidences of that around us, and we're so grateful and so thankful. So you've given us this opportunity to be together this morning, to gather around this word, to have this conversation. And this is intended for each of our lives. So Lord, I pray that your spirit will come and open our hearts and give us ears to hear that we might receive with joy from you that which you say. Lord, Strengthen us through your word today. Encourage us, rebuke us, convict us. Whatever it is you desire to do, may that and that only be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in 2 Corinthians 6, I want you to look at verse 12. Verse 12 is the verse in chapter 6 that I just can't stop thinking about. I think it's a place where most people... Just read past it, focused on things before, things after. But when the Apostle Paul tells the church at Corinth, this church that he loves so much, that he's invested so much of his life in, that he's been through so much difficulty with, when he tells the church, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. What a challenge this is today. So many people today, not only in this room, but in God's kingdom, have been restricted by your own affections. What that means is that there is Paul saying, although your lives are not small because you're in Christ, you live as if they are. So many people today would resonate with that reality. The bigness of being in Christ and what is declared to us through Scripture somehow gets disconnected and is not our experience in this life. It's not our reality. And Paul gave us a couple of ways to know what's going on. Remember, he... He said, first of all, it's your relationships. Look down in verse 14. He said, look at your relationships. He said, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership is righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial or Satan? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Paul said you need to first examine your relationships and then secondly, 
you need to look at the issue of residence. Residence. Look at what he says at the end of verse 16. For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So when it comes to affections, the Bible says we need to look towards relationships and residence. We need to take these two things into consideration and try to figure out where are our affections leading us astray. Now, we said last week, so you should have already filled this in on your listening guide. And then you thought, maybe he's tricking me and changing them up. Affections determine direction, and direction determines destination. You will arrive at some place in your life. You didn't get to where you are today on accident. Wherever you are, whether it's where you want to be or where you don't want to be or anywhere in the middle, it's because you were moving in a direction that led you there. That's 100% the reason. And wherever you're going to end up five years from now or ten years from now is going to be 100% predicated on the direction in which you're moving. And the direction is going to be determined by your affections. We as human beings have been designed to move toward our affections. And whatever those affections are, they're like we have a magnetic drawing towards those things. And I don't think I need to convince you of that. I think you already know that. And so Paul says, do not be unequally yoked, to which we automatically, who grew up in the church, or let me say, you who grew up in the church, automatically think of the marriage relationship, which it is certainly a big part of. But it's all relationships. Now, understand... The word yoked, it simply means connected, connected. And so to be yoked to something is to have a deep connection. This isn't, uh, you're not connected to acquaintances. You're not uh, connected to people that you may see once a week or talk to occasionally or that kind of thing. You're connected to people, the Bible would say, that you walk with. The Bible uses the term walking to describe doing life. The people you do life with, those are the people you're connected to. And so you need to be very, very careful and very thoughtful about what the Bible teaches about being connected or being yoked. Whenever I have this conversation, which typically, if you've been around here for a long time, you realize that it's about every five to six years we have this conversation. And every time we do, there are those of you in the room that will spend the rest of the time, as I'm talking this morning, thinking about your children to your demise. Or you'll be thinking about your grandchildren to your demise. I'm not talking about your kids. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you if you're 70 or if you're 50 or if you're 30 or if you're 20 or if you're 16. This is so critically important because it's, this is what fascinates me. It's how little we think about this issue of relationships. But yet no one will ever disagree with the statement that character is important. And everyone would would want to have good character. But stop and think for a second. What, What leads to character? Character, the way God designed us in his image, character is transferable. You do not, no one develops character in a vacuum. You and I develop our character. Whoever we are when no one's watching, that's your character. When you're by yourself and there's no one there and it's just you and yourself and your thoughts, that reveals your character. And who you are in that moment is 100% 
predicated on the people that have influenced you along the direction in which you're traveling. And so this ought to be something that we passionately think about and pursue. But you see, there's been a great devaluing in, in this idea of friendship. And every five or six years when we talk about it, it's worse than the five or six years ago that I talked about it before. It's so much worse today than it was five years ago. Nobody talks about friendship. Nobody thinks about friendship. Everybody's consumed with romantic relationships and that sort of love and seeking that kind of love and thinking about that kind of love. And here's, and here's something you may have never realized. So much pressure is unnecessarily applied to so many Christian marriages. Why? Because husbands and wives look to their spouse to meet every relational need that they have. That's unbiblical. Listen, ladies, your husband can't meet all of your emotional needs. Dear God, don't you know that? I mean, unless you got married yesterday, you should know that. Right? Whew. It's the same thing for men. If you're not married, then let me just say that I'm so sorry for not only what the world, but what the church puts you through and makes you feel like you're somehow debilitated because you do not have a uh, romantic or uh, spousal relationship in your life. It's a, it's a problem. I want you to know that the truth is you can be abundantly blessed and live a life of fullness with healthy, nourishing, loving, and giving friendships only if God calls you to singleness. And I know that most people don't understand that. And even after I've said that, we'll still ask you stupid questions and make you feel about two inches tall. And I'm sorry in advance for that. But it's just the brokenness of our culture in this area. I don't think it would be possible to, to even begin to understand the biblical importance of relationships and be ignorant about friendships. I don't think that's possible. So we need to have this conversation. So the first thing we need to do is, I need at least you to understand what I'm talking about when I say the word friendship, okay? Because you may have something else in your mind. So when I say friendship, what I'm talking about is unique same-sex relationships where common interests and direction form a bond which stretches and satisfies both people. Now, this doesn't mean that this is the only way you can have a friendship. It just means this is what I'm talking about. So if you don't like the definition, well, too bad. Because that's what I mean. Friendship, this sort of friendship that I'm talking about is not talking about just, uh, it's not, it's not a acquaintances, see. It's, a, it's relationships where there's a commitment, there's a bond. There's common interest. There's direction. So you're moving in the same direction. You're growing towards the same things. It stretches, meaning that you grow in this relationship, but also satisfies, meaning there's joy in this relationship. And these things flow both ways within the friendship. They don't have to flow evenly, but they do have to flow both ways, that a friendship has to be a two-way street. So let me just say this morning, if you're here and you're already annoyed because you're saying to yourself, well, I don't have any friends, which no doubt some of you are saying. And you're saying, no matter how hard I try, and you just don't know what I've been through, and I try and I try and I try, and I can't seem to make friends. 
I would say that if you look at that definition, you've probably sought people out with common interests and maybe even direction, but where you're failing is on stretches and satisfies. And it's one of two things. A, you're narcissistic, which means it's too much about you. Or B, you're codependent, and it's too much about them. And either way, it kills the friendship over and over and over and over. And I've seen it 10,000 times over 25 years here. And people... Uh, you know, with all seeming sincerity, finding people who have common interests and direction. But here's the thing. It, it's got to flow both ways in a healthy direction. And nobody wants to be friends when it's all about you. And nobody wants to be friends when it's all about me. Because it's just weird. And smothering. And it won't work. And so before you just give up, Understand that before you can find friends who love you, you have to be a friend who loves. And in order to do that, you're going to have to take risk. It's risky. See, sometimes you're going to listen to these things that I say this morning. And sometimes you're going to do them and, and you're going to try them and it's, it's not going to work. Okay. Well, you know what? You're not meant to have a spiritual friendship with everyone. But you are meant to have some. And so it may be a process. But it is a process very much worth your time and energy and your effort. All right, so let me give you some things that we need to talk about. The first thing we got to talk about is that you have to choose your friends. This is so important. This is where I always want to start is this issue of choosing your friends. Because what most people do is allow friends to choose them. If you think about, well, who are your friends and how did they become your friends? And you think about how did that happen? And it had something to do with probably with proximity. Maybe they moved into the neighborhood or maybe you started working at the place where they worked or maybe this or maybe that. And so just because there was proximity or there was some affinity, maybe you were on the golf course and you met them and they like golf and you like golf. And the next thing you know, you're, the friendship starts or whatever the case may be. Well, there's nothing wrong with that unless you just wandered into that blindly and thought, well, you know, hey, I guess this is going to work out, so I'm just going to be their friend. That's a very foolish thing to do. So what you can do is write these uh, passages down next to the corresponding place on your listening guide. They'll all come up on the screen. Proverbs 12, 26 says, The righteous should choose friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. So if you don't choose carefully, you are running the risk. You're taking a very, very dangerous step. Because if you get into a relationship with the wrong person, if you get yoked to or connected to the wrong person, what's it going to do? It, the first thing that's going to happen is it's going to begin to infiltrate your affections. And when it does that, it's got you. You're going to be restricted by that. And those affections are going to lead to your direction. And your direction is going to lead to your destination. And it all started because you just wandered into something and didn't really think about it or take responsibility for it. In Proverbs 18, 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Listen. Numerous friends chosen indiscriminately is a recipe for disaster. I think we should be friendly people. I think being friendly is important. But not only can I not be friends with everybody, I can't be yoked to everybody. I don't want to be yoked to everybody. It's unhealthy. It's impossible. God calls us to, to walk with people who are part of our larger people. But we all have to have some companions on this journey that walk closer than, than 
everyone else. As we pilgrimage together, we do so on this journey as a faith family with a small group within it. When the children of Israel wandered through the wilderness, they went as the people of God broke down into tribes, which were broke down then into clans, which were broke down into families. So there's subsets of people. And so you think about, you've always known that there was these subsets of people because when you went to school, you connected with some group of people, right? What group of people did you connect with? Or maybe better yet, what are the groups of people when you went to school? Audience participation time. You didn't go to school. Did you go to school? Were there people there? Were there groups there? Well, give me an, well, what were there? There were jocks. That's correct. So there were the athletes. There were what? The brainiacs. Clearly not my bunch in school. Uh, they rejected me. We got jocks, brains. What else do we got? What? Yeah. Art students, like the music band people, right? I thought they were weird. I don't know why. Because I wasn't artsy and couldn't do any of the things they did. But they were a tight bunch, right? You got the jocks, the brains, the art people. Oh, the goth. That, see, the, the students are like, what's he talking about? <laughs> see, you're dating yourself. That, they don't have that anymore, I don't think. I don't know. What, what, do, you, what do you call that? Do you know what we're talking about, the goth crowd? Well, what is it now? Emo. Did you know that? That's not a Muppet. That's a thing. Just saying, for those of you that are older, that's a thing. See, now there's a new, there's a new thing, old people. There's a new group, the gamers. See, there wasn't gamers when I was in school. Like, what do you mean, gamer? Like, what are you, like, into Monopoly or something, you know? No, didn't have that. Okay, we're missing a group, which some of you were in, I just want to say, and why are we not talking about it? Oh, somebody said the preps. Yeah, I forgot about them. No, I'm thinking about the stoners. That's what I'm thinking about. Some of y'all are kind of like going, yeah, that's all the groups. That's all we got. No. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Huh, wonder what the stoners were about. Yeah. You don't remember because you were in there. <laughs> so you gravitated into this group. Now, how did you choose what group you gravitated into, because you really didn't choose. You were drawn in subconsciously by this, this uncontrollable urge for acceptance. And you found a place that accepted you. Where, and you might have tried a couple and ended up somewhere, or whatever the case may be. See, some of the groups exist because they're filled with people that got rejected from some of the other groups. And so they made their own group. Because we all have this deep inward desire to be accepted. And so we find people and we get connected to people and we start walking with them. We start doing life with them. And so what I want us to think about today is how do we choose friends? And I'm not talking about Friendships that are people that, that you have association with or that you might live in a neighborhood with or even that you have family ties with or even, hello, listen, even that you go to church with. Just because you go to church with somebody don't mean you need to be best friends with them. That's a fact. That's a fact. So how do you choose friends? Let me give you some things to think about when choosing friends. I think the first one is the most important, and then the next ones that follow are probably of equal importance. The first thing I would think about is eternity. Are these people going where you're going? 
Are they devoted to what you're devoted to? Are they living toward the things that you're living towards? Now, this doesn't mean that you don't uh, develop relationships with people who aren't going to heaven. That would be ridiculous. I talked about this last week. But you don't yoke yourself to people who aren't going to heaven. Listen, this is, this is critically important. But you know what? We don't seem to get this. This always reveals itself to me every so often because then, you know, I, I am ministering to a family that's got some situation going on or uh, maybe I'm talking to one of the other pastors and then it comes to my attention that there's a family in the church that has uh, children or teenagers or whatever the case may be and and somehow they just don't seem to feel like it's important for their child or their student to be plugged into the children's ministry or the student ministry every time the doors are open, every time there's opportunity. That's a catastrophic mistake. That's what that is. And, and think about the reasons why. It's not because you don't want to. It's because other things have taken priority. So you know what? It's okay on Sunday morning, but midweek service, it just doesn't work in your schedule. Your kid doesn't like it, which is impossible. That's impossible. But maybe they're, you're telling yourself that or something. I don't know. Well, listen, there's no possible way that your child is going to grow up and have a greater desire to follow Christ than you do unless they grow up with a Christian peer group. It's impossible. There's no way that's going to happen. There's just no way that's going to happen. Not to mention the fact that what you're communicating, when you say, listen, we would go to church tonight, but you got a big test tomorrow. That is a parental fail. You understand that? You're telling your child that their grades are more important than Jesus. That's a fail. Listen. There's going to be moments when you can't come to church, right? So what do you do? You have a conversation with your child and you say, listen, you know our position on church and you know how Jesus comes first. And, and so this situation, because, you know, whatever's going on or because of this or because of that, we're not going to be able to go to church. But I just want you to know that it's not because... But if you just say, well, we're not going because you have this and just leave it there, what are you doing? And think about it. It's not just dropping them off. It's the realization that if their best friends, if their closest friends are not following Jesus and trying their best to walk in the authority of Scripture, it's going to be a disaster. It's going to be a disaster. And you think about all the time and the energy, the money, the volunteers, the effort, the, the prayerfulness, the thoughtfulness, how much of what we do around here is poured into the next generation. What an opportunity you have in this place. Do not squander that do not that's just step one in in taking responsibility look if if your friendships are important for you then how important are they for your kids or your grandkids now i want you to think about something it's not just bring them show up drop them off it's beyond that i think you should get all up in this thing look you don't let your kids decide whether or not they're going to go to school you don't let your kids decide whether or not they're going to go to the doctor. Well, then why do they decide whether or not they're going to go to church? And why do they decide who or who they're not going to be friends with? Listen, another thing, that when this comes out of your mouth, when you say, well, you know, uh, they've just become friends and they like each other, 
What has that got to do with anything? I don't look if my child likes somebody they shouldn't like, that's fixing to end. That's how that's going. They don't, my children do not have the, the I'm not going to allow them the opportunity to choose anyone they come across in life to be friends with. That is a mistake. You shouldn't do that, and children under your care should not be allowed to do that. You should proactively be involved in the friendship decisions of your children. Yes. You learn things when you stay somewhere for decades and decades. And that is A number one. And so what happens? If, there's, if, you, if you, uh, you look around at who's in the church that's the same age as your child and who's the kind of uh, the, the kind of person, the kind of family, the kind of child that you want your child to be friends with. Maybe look at somebody who's a year older or two years older, that's somebody they can look up to. And then what do you do? Here's what you do. You invite their family to come over and hang out with your family. And that puts that child in your child's life. And you keep doing that consistently, and guess what's going to happen? They're going to become friends. And guess why? Because of you. You don't just let this thing go wherever it wants to go. Then where are you going to end up? In a disaster. So eternity matters. Number two, affinity. So it's not just are you going where I'm going. You choose friends that are doing what you're doing. What is their affinity? See, you might have a common affinity, but... Do they have an affinity for the things that you have an affinity for? The good things, the right things. Are they into the things that you're into that, that you need encouragement in, the areas of your life where you need to grow? So affinity is important because if there's no affinity, it's, it's going to be really hard to build a relationship. And then that's especially true when you get to the third thing, which is chemistry. This is why everyone can't just be friends. Like, we can, be, we can be friendly, but we can't be friends in the way I'm talking about friendship because that's not God's design. We all can't just do life together super close. It's just simply impossible. We do everything we can do to be as bonded together and as close-knit as we possibly can be. But at the end of the day, you have a certain degree of Time, and I have a certain degree of time, and we're going to have to make choices about who we spend that time with. And people who have, see, people that I have chemistry with, they, they have the same feelings that I feel. They feel what I feel. We, we connect on, we're feeling the same things. That's the only way I know how to explain it. I know when I meet people and we just feel the same things, and you do too. And the fourth thing is loyalty. You have to enter in and you have to take risks before you ever find out about loyalty. But here's what, when I'm talking about loyalty, I'm talking about, listen, are, you, you want friends that are fighting for what you're fighting for. They're standing for what you're standing for. Because life in this world is hard. Righteousness is always going to be a challenge. It's always going to bring trial and persecution into your life. So you've got to have people who will stand beside you in the fire. Because if you're striving to live a righteous life, you're going to end up in the fire, aren't you? Yes. From time to time, there's going to be hardships because of that. You're going to have to take a stand for things. You're going to get persecuted for things. Well, you need people that will stand with you. And those are loyal friendships. So you choose your friends. Number two, you suffer your friends. Suffer your friends. Now, this is important. You can write out to the side, Proverbs 17, 17. The Bible says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. See, friends are closer than brothers because 
They're available all the time. Here's what you and I both know about family. Yes, we have family, and we love our family. And when there's some crisis happens, you can usually guarantee that if anybody's going to be there, your family's going to be there, right? Yes. But what about just in the normal trials and the normal little crisis that happen all the time across life? That's what you need friends for. You need friends that stick with you in the day-in and day-out trials all the time that are available to you. See, we know a lot of people. All of us do. You know a lot of people. I know a lot of people. We know a lot of people. But not everybody that we know we can count on. Not, every, not everybody that you know you can call in the middle of the night. Or you would even do that. You'd feel weird about it. The, the way you know you're connected to somebody is because you don't feel weird about that. What I see is that when real hardship comes into somebody's life, usually the acquaintances back away. Isn't that right? Yeah, they back away and make room for the real friends to move in. Now, I need to just say this. I'm not going to elaborate. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to trust that the Spirit lands it where it needs to land. Some of you have broken friendships because of what I just said. And you, you're in a relationship with somebody that's not tracking where you're tracking, that's affecting your affections in the wrong way, but you're in this relationship with them because in some time of brokenness, they were there for you. They were with you. They stuck with you. They, got, they jumped into the sinking boat and helped you bail water. And that might be a really good thing. But I would say if the other things I've already said this morning aren't true, you should get out of that boat. And here's why. Because you need to understand that there's a lot of people in this world that are broken. And all they do is jump in other people's sinking ships. Because they don't want to address their own brokenness. And so I take very great caution... I see people all the time who just jump from one catastrophe to the other. And they try to think of themselves as these great helpers and healers, but they're not. They're just, they're just brokenness junkies. That's why you, you, you love reality TV, because you don't want to address how jacked up you are, so you entertain yourself with other people's madness. It's the truth. That's true. That's true. Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. See, a lot of times when we read the Bible, this is what we think. We think God, God says things, you know, just for the sake of saying them. In the hopes that we'll, you know, like he's saying, he's saying this, but he really doesn't mean this, you know. We think God sometimes talks to us like we talk to our kids or our parents talk to us where sometimes as a parent you, you say, hey, you know, I'm going to whip you. And your kids, your kid knows you ain't going to whip me. Have I said parent fail yet today? Okay, well, this is number three, parent fail right there. Saying things you don't really mean. God never says things he doesn't mean. So when God says that something will destroy you, what does he mean? You don't have to know Greek and Hebrew to figure that out. He means it will destroy you. So you choose your friends. You suffer your friends. Thirdly, you protect your friends. You protect your friends. You can write out to the side, Proverbs 16, 28. The Bible says a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Notice, think about why this verse is in the Bible. A dishonest man spreads strife. Spreads, it's the same idea of sowing, sowing, sowing seeds of strife into a relationship. So do you think that this verse is in the Bible so that perverse people or whisperers would read that verse and go, 
I am, that's me. I should change. Huh? Who, who do you think that's for? That's not what that's for. That's not going to happen. If you've ever read the book of Proverbs, if you've ever studied the book of Proverbs, here's what you know. There's an, there's an underlying assumption in the book of Proverbs that the fool will most of the time remain a fool. That's true. That's true. That verse is not for people that are sowing seeds of strife. That's for people, that's a warning for the rest of us to stay away from them. That's what that is. Proverbs 17.10, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. You see that? That illustrates my point. The writer of Proverbs says, look, a rebuke goes right into a wise person. But a fool, you can hit them over the head a hundred times and they won't get it. Solomon's saying, these things that I'm telling you are not for, they are for the foolish people, but let's face it, most of the time the fool's not going to listen because they're foolish. It's a warning for us. It's a warning for people who are taking these things seriously. Or maybe who have not and suffered the consequences and are trying to change and restructure their life. Yeah, this is, these, are, these are for people trying to protect their friendships and people who are trying to protect their affections. That's what they're for. A whisperer separates close friends, it says. Close. What are they, what are they whispering? Always, come on now, I don't, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I will, but I don't want to. What, what, what are they whispering? You got a friend, every time they open their mouth, it's, somehow it's going to turn negative, isn't it? Negativity. Somebody who always assumes the worst about people. A key warning sign would be if you hear somebody in your inner circle use the phrase, it's none of my business, but. Whoop. Might need to back away. I don't, want, I don't want that in my life. I don't need that. I love you. And I'll be in a relationship with you, but I'm not walking with that. You're not going to sow those seeds into my head constantly all the time. Not, I'm not listening to it. Because I know what it'll do to me. Somebody who's always assessing the motives of other people. Mm -mm. There's a few of you in the room, you have the spiritual gift of discernment. I know you do, and you know you do, and God bless you for that. But everybody else, mm -mm. you don't know the reason why people do the things they do. So before you come to some conclusion, you should have a conversation with your brother or your sister or your coworker or your neighbor or whoever it may be. Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. There you go again. Just constantly, on and on and on. So here's the thing. When somebody tells you some negative information, this is whether this is you or not. Are you a conduit or does it stop with you? See, you're the person that when you hear some juicy thing about somebody, you want to find somebody to tell it to. Mm -mm. I'm not going to be that person. And it's very simple to take care of that. When people come to you with this you know, if, if, if you have someone in your life that has a gossip problem 
and you've just struggled with what to do about this and how to handle this, and you just want to you say something to them, but you don't know how to say it, it's very simple. When they tell you something about somebody else, just say, hey, I, I, I'm not taking that in. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not emotionally able to take that in. I don't want to hear that. Just make it about you. Whether it's true or untrue, I don't know, but I don't want to hear that and know that because that's, that's, not, that's not edifying. The Bible says that let everything come out of your mouth be edifying to the hearer. That's not edifying me. So I don't want to hear that. So either one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to stop talking about people or I'm going to back away from you. That's how that's going to go down. Why? Because I care about my destination. I have to protect my affections. If I don't protect my affections, guess what's going to happen? They're going to restrict me. And that is a disaster. That's a disaster. I love this verse, Proverbs 27.10. Do not forsake your friends and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Now, the reason I point this out is because this is one of the beautiful things that we get to see here in this faith family is, the, is how generationally, this is a very beautiful thing. Like, like your family has these amazing friendships. See, some of you dads have these great friendships with this other man in the church or wives. You have this great friendship and that you've become great family friends. And so your families have become friends. And here's the warning to the children. It's such a beautiful thing to see my adult children have, have great friendships with my friends. That is a beautiful thing. That's biblical. You need to make sure that you nurture that. Maybe you need to have a conversation with your adult children. Or maybe you need to work on that somehow. But you, listen, if here's the thing. This, this is important for you to understand. If there's any father or mother in this room, if you have a friendship that you're protecting your kids from, you have a problem. You have a problem. I would not be friends with anybody that I didn't want my adult children to be friends with. And so when we're doing things together, we invite them. We want everybody together because that's what the Bible says. But don't be the person that's always showing up. With Only time you show up is with your problem or your need. All right, number four, let's go. you got to correct your friends. See, they're getting easier. Yikes. See, you're insecure, and you're very uh, desirous of friendships, which you should be, but you're insecure, and so you start building a relationship with somebody, and then it comes to this, and you, you don't correct your friends because you're, you, you're, you're too worried about losing the friend. And what happens is it, it will deteriorate to something that is no longer what the Bible would call a friendship because of it. Write down Proverbs 27, 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. See, his earnest counsel. When you have a real friend, you, you, have, you have conversations about surface things, about sports and about weather or about whatever you're doing or about this or about that. Sure you do, but you don't only have those. You dive in deeper. You get down to the nitty-gritty of life. You, you, you're, you're willing to be open with them about what's happening, and they're willing to be open with you about what's going on in their life. You should be... Uh, learning these skills in D groups, in places where you feel safe to develop relationships where you can get into the deeper things of life. Real friends are people you can have real conversations with. And so here's the key to this. The key is, is that real friends value the friend over the friendship. So if, if I need to say something to you and I have a 
sneaking suspicion that it's going to be too painful for you to receive. And there's a good possibility that it's going to cost me the friendship. I'm saying it. It's not easy, but I'm saying it. And usually in those situations, what I'll do is I'll, I'll pray about it. I'll agonize about it because I feel wounded by it, don't you? It's like when you have something difficult you need to say to somebody you love, it, you've, it, it, you're, you feel wounded in that because you know this is going to be hard. And so you finally sit down and you, you, you share your heart in love. And they're just not able to receive it. And so the friendship goes its separate ways. Sometimes that's the cost. And then usually I'll just give some time. And then I'll just subtly, I won't, because I don't know if it's God's will to rebuild the friendship or what. But, I, but here's what I'll do. I know it's God's will to reconcile. And so my concern is the fact that it's because my heart is pure, but my concern is they have aught with me. And so here's the thing. In that situation, I just want you to know that I love you. I love you. See, sometimes you have to you say things to somebody in love, and it's the wrong thing. Maybe me too. But, but, but we were motivated by love. You just make sure that you communicate your motivation was genuine. It was loving. It's because I love you. That wasn't easy for me. It wasn't easy for you. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't have said it. It would have been easy for me to just act like it wasn't there. That's why so many people do that. Proverbs 27, 6, you can write this down. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. See? Don't just tell me the things I want to hear. It's deceitful. If you're going to be in a real friendship, you're going to have to hear things you don't want to hear. You're going to have to give people access to say things that you don't necessarily want them to say, but you need them to, to say because they see things that you don't see. A good friend is, is willing to be wounded because it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel like you're wounded when you move into that place. And so this is what I want you to do. I, I, want, you to, I want you to just think about, let, let's look around this room. Look at all these different people. Look at all the varying, not only life stages, but just there's so much, there's so many different and unique things in so many ways about so many of us. And look at all the opportunities. Look at the potential for you to build close friends, for you to choose, for you to move, to, to, to begin to move in the direction of opening your life up to some good, solid, wonderful, edifying friendships. And so to start, start moving in and figuring out, you know, God, I want to choose. So some of you, remember me from time to time I talk about when I when I first got saved and you know I didn't grow up in church and I didn't know anything and and I was just overwhelmed I mean not only did I not know anything but I mean just the whole thing I mean I was I had a crisis of faith there in the in the very early stages of my walk with Jesus and here's why because I'm trying to sort all these problems out that are inside of me, and I feel like I'm surrounded by people who act like they got it all together. And that, that's a problem, see? And then, and then, then here's, here's what hits me. What hits me is I didn't have a dad. And so that means a couple things. That means, number one, I don't know how to be a husband because I never saw that. See, my mom never had a husband, so how would I know? Only thing I knew was just this man's here for a while, then he's gone, then another one's here. But I didn't know husband. I never saw that, so I didn't know what to do. Then secondly, my wife gets pregnant with our first child. I'm like, well, I don't know how to be a dad. And so what am I going to do? And I'm looking around all these people that act like they got it together. But here's the thing. I didn't just act like I had it all together because I knew I couldn't. 
I took responsibility for the situation. Was it awkward? Yes. Trust me, when I walked up to that old couple, I watched them for weeks. You've heard me say this before. I watched them every time they pulled up in the parking lot. He got out and opened the door for her. Every time he held her hand as he walked her in. I watched how he loved his wife. Yeah, they were 40 years older than me. They didn't know me. I walked up to them, little bitty, you know. They're like, woo. I said, I know you don't know me, and I don't want to freak you out, but I really want to hang out with you. Uh, I'm like, seriously, I, I want to come to your house. I'm not joking. I mean, I, I, I got to know. I got to figure this out. And it taught me a lot. Because in so many ways, it was those, those crazy friendships that would have never happened had I not forged them. I saw people somewhere that I wanted to get to. I didn't even know this was happening, but I just knew I needed to get there. So I just went and just made friends with them because I just knew this. You should just know this. A lot of times in friendships, you know, probably the number one reason why friendships fail is because one person's just asking too much from the friendship, right? Well, here's the good news. The good news is that there's a friend you can never ask too much of. And his name is Jesus. And he invited us into relationship with him. And he talks about how that's a friendship. See, he invites us in and we can never ask too much of him. And listen, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you take these things we've talked about and try to apply them, you will never be the friend that you need until you have the friend of Jesus. You can't do this without him. You don't have it in you. It won't work. You got to be friends with him first before you can ever experience spiritual friendship. See, Jesus said, greater love has none than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. For his friends. He's looking at his disciples. And they're still trying to figure out, you know, how, well, how, what is this? You know what I mean? Because they're, they're, he's up here and we're down here. And, you know, he's, he can do all these things. But, somehow, but for some reason he keeps inviting us along with him. And they're trying to sort this out. And, and he tells them, he wants them to know that he's about to substitute himself for them. He's about to take God's wrath that's due them upon him. And he wants them to know that he sees them as a treasured friend. And that's how he sees every child that's in this room. See, if you know him, he sees you as a treasured friend. And he wants you to know that. He wants you to know that friendship is at the heart of the gospel. And I want you to know him in a saving way. I want you to know that you know this morning that Jesus is your friend. So this is what I want you to do. Just sit right where you are. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes, please? And I want us to just think about this issue of friendships. I want us to think about, where, are our affections restricting us? And that ought not be. That ought not be. So let's wage war against that this morning. Let's say, God, help me. Help me to understand through the friendship that I have in you. Or maybe it's, God, I'm inviting you, please. Will you save me and make me your friend? I want to be friends with you. I need your friendship in my life.
Lord, thank you for the people that you've providentially put around me. Help me to see with your eyes. Maybe I haven't been paying attention, Lord, to the fact that you've been placing people around me. And I just thought they were there, but what I didn't realize is that you were putting people there for me to to gravitate towards because you know what I need. And so, Lord, as you're being active in my life through friendships, may I be active in friendships and not be passive and just let them happen. But God, more than anything, thank you for Jesus who gave his life that somehow people like us could be called your friend. What an amazing thing that is. That I'm a friend of God. So, Lord, may we not be ashamed. If we've, if we've said in our heart, God, I want to be friends with you. Then we, if we've said, God, I'm going to move in the direction of being intentional about my friendships. Then remind us that you say that if we confess you before man, you'll confess us before the Father. But that we ought not be ashamed of things that we confess to you and promise to you. That we're not embarrassed to say, I'm ready to follow you and walk with you. Or I'm ready to take accountability for the people in my life. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move some people out and I'm going to find some people to move in. And it may look different and it may feel different and it may be hard, but it's going to be worth it because you're worth it. So thank you, Lord, for every commitment made in this room and every heart that's bent towards you. Thank you. We pray that you'll allow us to see all of this come to pass for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last thing. Jesus chose us as friends. He died for us as friends, and he invites us to trust him as our friend, and he will remain our friend for the endless ages to come. He is the true picture of what a friend is and can be and may God fill your life with edifying amazing friendships and may we moms and dads take responsibility and intentionality for those that we're responsible for in their friendships in Jesus name and for his glory amen you're dismissed I love you